Acts 6, 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and one of the Syrians and the Alexandrians, and of, the, of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eliza. I'm not using, am I using this? Okay. Thank you, and it's wonderful to be back. I do notice a little few changes. So you guys have two, uh, what do you call it, projectors now, and the wall that used to be here seems to be gone, seems a little bit more freeing, and you have a nice little divider there. So um, it's amazing how, you know, I was here till end of August, and so it's been, I guess, like nine, ten, about two and a half months, but it feels both like an eternity, and coming back like I was just here a few weeks ago. So um, it's always good to be back and worshiping with you and wonderful to see the people because at the end of the day, the church is not a building or uh, an organization or a name. It's really the people that make up this body. And so it is good to see familiar faces. And thanks for the wonderful introduction. And I, I'm excited to continue in the story of Acts. And um, I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll go right to the text. Father God, we thank you for this we thank you for the story of Stephen, for the story of Acts, for the birth of your church and the continuation of your ministry. Lord, help us to see today that THMCEM is, is not just a church that sprung up um, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, that we are part of a story that happened thousands of years ago and is continuing through us. Help us to connect to the great story that we are a part of. Help us not to lose sight and be short-sighted. We ask that your spirit would speak through your word. We ask that you would inspire us, encourage us, give us faith to be bold. And in this Thanksgiving Sunday, help us to be overwhelmed with gratitude that you invite us, just plain old broken us, to be part of your kingdom work. And what a privilege it is. So we ask that you would be with this church and be with us in this time of hearing your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, there are more passages I'm going to read a little bit later on. Um, but I want to start with this idea, and I, I just mentioned it in my prayer. I, it's a short message, well, shortish message, with just one theme. And that's really just connecting to the story. Uh, really understanding that what we are doing now is part of a story that began long ago, right? And it's, this is something you hear me say a lot, but it is so important because when we lose sight of the bigger story that we're part of, we become very 
short-sighted. Our focus becomes narrow. It becomes about my life and the things that I'm doing or what this church is doing. And we lose sight of the bigger work that God is calling us to. And I, I want you to see that in the book of Acts. And I want you to see it in the story of Stephen. I can't believe it was almost 21 years ago, but uh, it was right around December 20, uh, 2001 that uh, the movie Fellowship of the Ring was released. You got any, any Tolkien fans? Okay, I'm a, I'm a big Tolkien fan of the original kind, meaning I, re- I read the books uh, back, back when I was in middle school and high school and, and read a few times and, and loved the book. And I was really excited that there was going to be a movie adaptation that I think could potentially live up to the grandness of the epic story of the Lord of the Rings. And I remember back then, uh, 2001, so that would put me at 31, which seems like, oh my gosh, I was a young man. <laughs> uh, uh, but back then, I, was, uh, I had the energy and the excitement to go to the midnight openings, right? So they would do the Thursday. Now it's very common, but Thursday previews would start at like at midnight. And I remember like I, was, I didn't dress up. But I, I, my wife and I and a few friends of ours, uh, I was serving at another church. We all went to the midnight showing of the Fellowship of the Rings. And uh, so it was, it was some midnight, so it would have been like 2 or 3 in the morning when it was done. We're walking out. We're excited. I mean, it was just it really lived up to the expectations. And I was coming out. Coming out um, I, I saw these three younger, I would say they're like more like teenagers, three young girls walking out on the theater and they enjoyed the movie, but I, I just happened to overhear the conversation. And it was something along the lines of, yeah, that, that was a good movie, but it was kind of a weird ending. I, it just didn't, it wasn't satisfying. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, they don't know that this is the first of three movies. <laughs> that it, the story doesn't end there. Now, there actually are two more movies coming out that's going to take the story to its conclusion, Right? So if you don't know that the story continued, you would, I would agree, it's an odd, odd movie indeed. I think sometimes we kind of fall into the same mistake. I, I sometimes think we become unaware of the grandness of the story, both the past and the future of what we are called to be part of. And we, we just look at our snippet, and, and because when we do that, we kind of become short-sighted. If you read the New Testament, and I hope you do, if you read the New Testament, it's interesting the way it's laid out. So if you, um, if you open the Bible to the New Testament, no one opens the Bible anymore. Like if you open your app now, I guess, you click. So you don't actually open. But if you, if you lived in the old days and you had a Bible book and you kind of opened it and it was kind of like three quarters into the Bible, you land in the New Testament. What's the first book you see? Anyone? Anyone know? is the Gospel of Matthew. And then when you finish reading the Gospel of Matthew, is the Gospel of Mark. And then you finish reading the Gospel of Mark, and it's Gospel of Luke. Like, boy, they, they're just kind of they're talking about the same thing a lot. So, I mean, there's obviously significance to it, right? If you're reading a book, and the first three books are all talking about the same story, that's got to be an important story. And then you go to the Gospel of John, and then you know, you have a little bit of a different perspective on the story of Jesus, right? Now, after the Gospel of John is what? I, and I really wish they, they would put Luke and Acts like right next to each other, but 
there's a book of Acts, and then you go into the book of Romans, and then you have all these letters that fill up the remainder of the New Testament. Now, if you're new and you really didn't know much about Christianity, but you got a Bible for some reason that had the book of Acts taken out, you would read that book, and you would read the Gospels, and you would say, wow, this, this is about this man named Jesus, right? This man named Jesus who seems to have riled up the religious institutions, who seem to have made some astonishing claims about who he is and, and what he is here to do, to the point that they crucified him, and he rose again, right? So you would think this is the, that's, the, that's what you would kind of glean from reading the Gospels. But if, you, and then, and if the book of Acts was gone and you went to Romans, it would really be an uh, kind of a, a um, unexpected uh, follow-up to the Gospels. Like, all of a sudden, there's this guy named Paul. I don't remember a Paul in the Gospels. I remember Peter. He's kind of the brash and um, sort of uh, impetuous one. I don't remember Paul. And all of a sudden, he's writing to a church in Rome. What, what, where, how did this church get to Rome? I thought the story was in Jerusalem, right? And so the book of Acts really is this linchpin story connecting the story of Jesus to the rest of the New Testament, to the church. The book of Acts is the story of the church. It's the story of the birth of the church and the proclamation of the gospels to the ends of the world. The book of Acts is a book that reminds us that the story that we are part of is the story that precedes it. Okay. So just, uh, I, I know you guys been, um, how long is, you guys start the series like in September, so it's been a while, so I'm sure you've heard probably with guest speakers coming 40 different you know, introductions about the book of Acts. You're probably, gosh, if I hear another introduction about the book of Acts, I'm just going to lose it. No, but I'm going to give you a short introduction to the book of Acts just so that this text makes sense, okay? Or today's sermon makes sense. The book of Acts is a second part of a two-part book, right? You guys heard that a bunch, yes? Not with me? If you don't nod with me, I'm just going to assume you didn't hear any of this. I'm just going to go on and on. Nod with me, okay? This is book two. So this is like the two towers, or this is like, you know, uh, a second part of a two-part book. And the first part is the Gospel of Luke. So it's the same author as the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, the very first opening verse of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, begins like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostle whom he had chosen. When an author opens a book a certain way, it usually gives a good indication of what he is trying to emphasize. And what Luke is trying to emphasize is that what I'm about to write in this book of Acts is really the continuing work of Jesus. All that he began to teach and to do in Luke, I'm going to show you, Theophilus, how that is now going to continue through the apostles and the church. Right? 
So it's really, really important that when we read the book of Acts, we're not reading some new story. We're not reading some new fantastical work that God is doing. We're reading a continuation of a work that God's been doing actually for even before Jesus, before the creation of the world, in fact. Okay? And to, just in case we have lose that um, hint that Luke is dropping for us in verse 1, they say that he says it again down a few verses in chapter 1 um, in the words of Jesus telling his disciples. So Luke is recording the words of Jesus as he is ascending. He says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here Jesus gives the mission of the church in two ways, right? The mission of the church is what? Go do something fantastic. Go do something new. Be creative, right? Go, go love the world in a new and amazing way, and I'll be with you to the end of the earth. Amen? No, 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 no. You guys forgot I do that, right? No, that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say go and do something fantastic in you. He says what? You will be what? My witnesses. Now, what is a witness? Think about a witness. Where, where, when do we use the term witness most in today's context? Okay. Trial. Okay. In a trial. When a, when a witness is called on a trial, and, and they, I don't think they do the Bible thing anymore, but they just says, I, I, I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Do you go there and do you expect the witness to just come up and be creative about what he or she saw? Like, go for it. Just, just come up with some exciting ways to talk about this case. No, you, what you want in a witness is what? You want them to be as direct and plain. You want as least subjectivity as possible, which we know is kind of hard to do with human beings. But we just want you to tell us what you saw and heard. Right? That's what a witness does. Witness doesn't create things. A witness bears witness to what he or she saw. And what Luke is trying to say is that the mission of the church isn't to do something fantastical. It is to continue bearing witness to what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done is the fulfillment of all that God promised he will do from the very beginning. In fact, from Genesis chapter 3 is the first sort of promise of the gospel. Right, The seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. What Luke is saying is our mission is to continue to bear witness to the work that God is doing. Ron Howard, a director, said, really in movie telling or in all movie making, there's really one story. And that's true. For us, there is just the one main story that we are part of. So this is the lens that uh, Luke is giving us to understand the book of Acts. So when you read the book of Acts, you just see it as this is the continuation of what God has been doing, and we are part of this. This story relates to us. It happened 2,000 years ago, but we're still part of the story that Luke is starting to set out in the book of Acts. The second thing that Luke does is he gives us kind of an outline. He gives us an outline of how the book of Acts is going to unfold. Right? It's like the table of contents. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
This means that the way that God, Jesus, intends the gospels to spread is it first happens in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So the way that the book of Acts is going to unfold is going to be in the same way. The book of Acts is going to recount how the Holy Spirit falls in Jerusalem, then the worst best of Judea, and then in chapter 8, where the next pastor will pick up, it's going to go to Samaria. And after Samaria, it's going to be ends of the world with the, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Cornelius and the Gentiles, and then the mission of Paul and Barnabas, the gospel is now unleashed. And the book of Acts actually ends with the word of God continuing to be proclaimed. Right? So this is an outline that Luke is giving for us through the words of Jesus that is going to be these concentric circles going outwards. And what the book of Stephen is, is a transitional story. We are on the cusp of transitioning to now the gospel going to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it is really important that Stephen plays an important role because, as I mentioned, if you go to chapter 8, we're going to be going to Samaria. So Stephen's story is a pivot story. Okay? And because it is a pivot story, Stephen's story in particular parallels that of Jesus. So Stephen, um, I think you guys covered the early part of chapter 6, right? Is that correct or no? So you know, so if you remember, the church is growing, and as the church is growing, its needs are growing. So there are thousands of people. It's a mega church, um, and they're all, and one of the things that happened in that early church is that people just spontaneously, not, not coerced, there was no financial campaign, there wasn't a, you know, um, kind of a, 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 a can't talk, I'm sorry. There wasn't an intentional focus on trying to get people to give in a particular way, but spontaneously, out of the joy of hearing the good news of the, of the gospel, of experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, people just began to see people in need and say, you know what, I got some land, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to give it. And so there was this, all, this, um, all of these things that were happening where people's needs were being met. So it was a church that prayed and gathered and studied and listened to the apostles' teaching, but it's also a church that met the needs of people, practical needs of the people. So if you, if you, if you know this, right, like, like the Catholic Church is really good at this, they really have always been very much into charitable work because for various reasons, but they have always been a, 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 a positive social influence in helping those in need. And for those of us who grew up in more of an evangelical tradition, we're not as strong in that. But you, you can see the impulses in the gospel is always to help those in need. And so, you know, the group is blowing up. And because of implicit bias, us and all of us, the people who are serving the food to the widows tend to focus on their own widows rather than the Hellenistic widows. And so, like, they're being overlooked, right? And that's perfectly normal. Implicit bias happens to all of us. So then they said, and the apostles said, well, there's only 12 of us. We can't do everything. We're going to get these deacons. And so Stephen was one of the deacons that was selected. And they picked people who were full of the Holy Spirit. So remember, Stephen was already full of the Holy Spirit before he was selected as a deacon. And Stephen, out of the seven, takes a, a prominent space because, uh, as, I, as I told you, the, the story is now going to shift from the season of 
being in people's good graces in, in Jerusalem. You know, remember, the, the fear of God was upon the church. The fear of God was upon the people around them, and they respected what was happening. But now there's going to be this shift. The apostles, there was light persecution, but it was limited to the apostles, a few apostles. But now the story's going to shift. And I think Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the first one to die for his faith, sets up a story to remind us again by being so similar to Jesus' own death and how he dies. That is a transitional reminder that as we go into this next ring of influence where we are taking the gospel to Samaria, that is a reminder that we are still continuing the story of Jesus. Now look at, look at Stephen's story. Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he was wise. And so he would go and proclaim the gospel. One of the things he kept emphasizing was that God doesn't live in the temple. Like, that's not where God is. God is spirit. He's everywhere. And, and, and the people who are traditionally religious didn't like that message. And so they began to argue with Stephen. And then finally, like with Jesus, they, they began to bring false witnesses. Now, these false witnesses weren't necessarily, I believe, people who were saying that Stephen was saying something he didn't. I think there were false witnesses and that they were twisting what Stephen was saying that he didn't mean. Stephen wasn't blaspheming God and Moses. He was actually, and we're going to see this in a little bit, he was actually saying, I'm really part of the real story. You guys are missing the point. But the point is that the religious leaders, like they did with Jesus, also does with Stephen. They get angry at him, and they argue with him. They, they get into debates, and they could not overcome him, so they bring in false charges, and they bring him to court. And the Bible tells us, okay, there's a, there's a thing about in, when you read the Bible, sometimes there'll be a lot of allusions to the Old Testament. The Bible tells us Stephen, when he stood before the council, what happens? His face was like that of an angel, right? It's kind of like Moses when he came back down from Sinai. Do you get, there's a story, uh, you might not be familiar. Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the commandments. He was there for 40 days with God. And when he came down, the Bible tells us his face like glowed. It's like you're in the presence of God. You have this like radioactive holiness emanating from you. And he put a veil over his face because he's like, whoa, well, Moses, turn down the light. Kind of like, no, that's, that's me. Uh, that's the holy glow that I'm getting from being with God. So he put a veil over his face. But the reference here is probably some kind of a perhaps, not definitively, but an allusion to Stephen's face being like that of an angel, glowing, right? And Stephen gives this response. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move this series along really fast by doing entire chapter 7 in like short summaries. Chapter 7, 53 verses. We're not going to have time to read it all, but I, I encourage you to go home and read it. Because Stephen is brought here with the charge that you are blaspheming Moses and God. Okay? Speaking against the temple. So if you were being charged with that charge, well, how would you defend yourself? Well, it's interesting. If you read chapter 7, chapter 7 is basically a synopsis of the Old Testament. He gives us long, he starts with Abraham. When God called Abraham out of Haran, you know, he, just, he starts with Abraham, talks about Joseph, talks about 
the Israelites going to Egypt, being slaved there. It talks about Moses. It talks about the deliverance. It talks about David wanting to build a temple, which Solomon eventually built. That's how he defends himself. He tells him the Old Testament story. Why? And it's important. Chapter 7 is important because it's the longest speech that's recorded in the book of Acts. When Luke is writing his book, the, the longest speech he gives um, space to is a speech by Stephen. More than Paul's or anyone else's is Stephen's speech. And it's important because we're on the cusp of, of one of the circles. Going, once again, we're on the transition stage. We're, we're going to Samaria. The gospel is going to break barriers. And I think this is a wonderful reminder of what Stephen is trying to say is, you think that I'm breaking with Moses and God. You think that you're on the side of Moses and God, that you're on the side of Moses and God, and that I'm breaking away from that tradition and doing something heretical. That's your charge. But I'm going to tell you, I'm on the story of Moses and God. What I am preaching and teaching and and following Jesus really is the story. And it reminds them, you rejected Moses. And Moses said, there will be someone like me, another prophet, meaning pointing to Christ. And you rejected Christ too. And in fact, that pattern of rejecting people God sends, that's been the pattern of your entire history. The prophets you rejected. It's not me that's on trial, he's saying. It's you. You're the stiff-necked people that can't see what God is doing. You misread God's redemptive story. And you are now stepping out of his main story. That's his point. That's the point of the message. How do you think the leaders took it? Oh, yeah. You know what, Stephen? You're right. We missed the point. Listen, this is, this is Stephen's conclusion. He's on trial, and this is how he ends. This, this guy is, I wanted to say he's got some, but uh, he, he's, he's not afraid. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. His face is glowing, and he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom now you have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Okay? He's going full throttle Jesus on them. Okay? And this is how they respond. When they heard these things, this is verse 54, they were enraged, enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Do you know, have you ever seen someone so mad that they ground their teeth? I mean, this, this, you got to understand, this isn't like, oh, that's, that's, I, I kind of find that offensive. No, this is like volatile, visceral rage. I don't know if you've seen someone, this is visceral rage. They start raging. But, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Once again, this is a connection now. I think the, Luke, the author is trying to connect Stephen with Christ. Now he sees Jesus and the, 
and standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. It's almost like, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. They blocked their ears and they're rushing him now. They're rushing him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Uh, stone, stoning isn't like you pick up these pebbles and go like, that's not stoning. Do you know stoning? Stoning is like boulders. And you, they crush your bones. It's a painful way to die. It's not a quick death. They crush your bones, they crush your skull, ultimately killing you, right? They picked up all these boulders and they started stoning him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who's going to be Paul. So Luke is, Luke is making a transition here. This is a transition part. This is an important part of the story, okay? And as they were, sto- as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Okay? Now, what does that remind you of? That reminds you of Jesus. He says, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? Once again, the parallel is clear. Stephen is not just dying for something he believes in. Stephen is dying to be a witness to Jesus. And now notice, Jesus says, God, receive my spirit. Stephen now says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Meaning that Jesus is now in the church co-equal with God in authority. He is now fully seen as God. And Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. This is really important. This is really important for the Gospels because this is what Jesus also says. Stephen says, Lord, do not hold a sin against them. The ability to love those who are wrong, right? He, he, he just called them like, you stiff-necked people. You guys are continuing the tradition of hypocrisy and stiff-neckedness, but, it's very, but it is these very people that he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And I believe, though it's not recorded here, I believe there's a man named Saul that heard that prayer. Because Saul later on talks about this event quite a bit, about how he persecuted the church. And that was something that he, it just really weighed on him heavily. Like if you read Saul's testimonies at the end of the book of Acts, what he keeps mentioning is he keeps mentioning like, I I was the worst guy in the world. I was like the chief of sinners because I persecuted God's people. And I was there sanctioning the first martyr. But in that moment of being martyred, he says, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, which echoes Jesus' sentiment. In other words, Stevens is reminding everyone that he is bearing witness to the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, Dear friends, THMCEM, I know that it's busy trying to keep everything going. But even in the busyness of keeping this church going, remember that your story, what you're doing here, is connected to what Stephen was doing. And what Stephen was doing is connected to what Jesus was doing. And what Jesus was connected to was what God had promised to do ever since Adam and Eve rebelled and sin came into the world, and that he would redeem creation. 
your story didn't begin 20, 30 years ago when THMC was founded. Your story began before the creation of the world. Of God creating a good world, of the world falling and brokenness and sin, and Christ coming to redeem creation. That's your mission. That's your calling, both personally as an individual and as a church. And I pray that would inspire you to keep going, right? Because it isn't just about THMCEM. It's about the good news. And I hope that would inspire you to find encouragement and strength and, and, and perseverance through these challenging times. May the Lord bless you. Are we doing communion? Okay. Great. Uh, can I pray? Actually, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and, and, and help us to uh, remember that Stephen was not unique and that we're all called to bear witness to the great story. So help THNCEM be that, a witness to the great story. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.